Hey y'all, welcome to season two of the podcast. Join me, Christy, and Brittany, and Meg, and Bailey, as we continue to navigate life together. So grab a chair and get comfy, because there's plenty of room at our table. Hey y'all, welcome back to this week's episode. Welcome back to season two, still can't believe that's what we're doing. Um, So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, um, this is a two-parter, so you can you can really listen to him in either order. Um, but we are still telling our stories. Last week, Meg and I told our you know our sides, and then um, today, Christy and Brittany are going. Um, don't forget to um, keep up with us on Instagram at uh, Hey Y'all underscore the podcast on all major podcasts platforms. Um, we have a website, converseandcrowns.com. Um, pretty much all the things you can um, submit questions and ideas. That's actually where this came from. So check us out there. So what's the yummies, y'all? Today, the yummies were um, sourdough peanut butter cookies that my mom made us. She has been dabbling in the sourdough um, since she retired and she is killing it. She started with just the normal sourdough bread because that's not hard and then she's done raisin bread she's done cookies she's done she, hamburger buns. she made us hamburger buns y'all they were so good so she is killing it in the sourdough game but she has been wanting to make us something so um sourdough peanut butter cookies and they were i delish. also didn't know that you could do that i, like, didn't I thought sourdough was bread yeah yeah. Done. Like well, strictly bread. It's the starter, right? Like yeah, it's a starter. Fermented. Yeah. Um, well, and like, because I said, because she had made like Raisin Bran and all this stuff. And when we were doing burgers for July 4th, I said, Mom, could you make hamburger buns? She said, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Then I was like, oh, no, I didn't mean to like make you work. <laughs> she loves it. She like loves making it. So And you kind anyway. of have to like feed it and stuff yes. too, right? Oh, it's, hers isn't as high maintenance as some of the others apparently. But yeah, it's a process. It's so. like having a pet. Yeah, but you can eat it. <laughs> so well, it's that really got good. dark. I was yeah. say, depending <laughs> on where you live, Look, still like having no. a pet. No, Annie and Bella cannot be eaten. <laughs> um, well, like Bailey said a minute ago, we're parting. We're starting our part two of telling our stories, and whenever she kind of gave us this assignment, I should say, <laughs> episode title, I was like, I really couldn't understand why anybody would want to hear mine or why it might matter. So I kind of did some research into the, the joy that comes from telling your story and the purpose from telling your story. And when we're able to do that, um, it just matters because it reveals God and it reveals God to people and it shows other people his faithfulness, his love and his power in ways that like minds and people can understand you know we read all these bible stories every sunday but like this is a real testament in real time in real days as to his faithfulness and work mm-hmm. for us today um and sharing your story doesn't mean that it's all tied up with a pretty bow and it's all resolved and everything is perfect now because it's an ongoing story mine true. certainly is mm-hmm. um but if you share it honestly people can see god at work in your life and can kind of see how it can work in his as well um, I found Jesus when I was in middle school, you know, Southern Baptist. We grew up in the South. <laughs> My parents actually went to like a Presbyterian church, and we went to that church for years, even after we had moved out to Oak Grove and, you know, just had the normal every Sunday we're at church and all of the things. Um, but my relationship with God and Jesus got a, a real fresh start in one of like the hardest times of my life, mm-hmm. and that was going through my divorce. And I was an adult. Um, and regardless of the reasons of like getting a divorce, it's painful and it's lonely and it's embarrassing. And I think that's why it's really important to seek, um, godly advice during times like that. Because for me, it was just filled with, I was filled with so much like pain and anger. And I can really kind of understand why people veer away from God and the church in times like that. Cause it's, it's awful. But, um, and I'm not ashamed to say that I was angry and confused for a really long time as to why God would do this to me, why he would let that happen to me and to my little girls at the time. And no one tells you when you get a divorce that, uh, you're sometimes divorcing long-term friends and family members. Mm. And no one tells you that you lose relationships and you lose your home, whether it's the four walls or just like the sense of home that you've had for a really long time. And no one tells you about the grief you have with all of that not even with your spouse just with all of that other stuff happening and the shame you feel and wondering what you did wrong 
wondering if you're making the right decision with going through with something like this that's like this painful and why you didn't see it come things like that um no one tells you the embarrassment you feel knowing that especially when you live in a small town everybody knows why you're getting divorced everybody knows all the dirty details of it all all the nitty-gritty details and how you can be so blind as to why you didn't see things coming why you didn't see things that were so oblivious to you and obvious to everyone else it's really embarrassing and no one tells you how physically and mentally and emotionally exhausting it is to put on a brave face and a fake smile <laughs> and go to the grocery store and go to church and mm-hmm. act like everything's fine and so i was in a we lived in a neighboring town oak Grove. we were in summerall and i was in a bible fellowship class a women's bible fellowship class and in the midst of the beginning of it all falling apart, I was in this group and this woman had said, oh, well, your divorce can just be part of your Christian walk. And I was like, almost got out of the room. <laughs> I was like, this cannot be part of my Christian walk. Are you, are you insane? Are you absolutely insane? Um, and I remember thinking that, okay, I'm just not going to come back to this. They don't, they don't understand what's going on with me or whatever. But, and I had no idea how something so painful and hurtful could be part of God's plan for me. And um, that's when doubt moves in. Mm-hmm. And that's when Satan tries really hard to get you as far away from God as he can. And because I had never felt as far away from God when all of that was happening. And he tries to find a way to separate you from friends, from Bible fellowship groups, from all of that. And we had been doing a devotional, and I was working on some homework one night, begrudgingly. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, I can honestly say, like, my heart wasn't in it. I was doing it to fill in the paperwork yeah. so it looked like I did my homework so I could get my A and all of that. <laughs> and um, where am I? Oh, the story was of the Israelites and how they were going through the desert, and it was just an example of going through a difficult time, a difficult situation to get um, where God wants us to be and that God has something better for us planned, even if we can't see it. And they just had to go through a difficult journey first to inherit his divine promise. And even though, they, even though they struggled, God sent a constant reminder of his presence. And it was like God was saying, Brittany, I know you need a big red flashing sign. <laughs> and here it is. Yeah. I'm here. I promise. There is a reason for all of this. It, you have to go through some struggles, but that's just a reminder of God's presence. And um, it took a lot of tears and prayers and a lot of time to realize I could have peace knowing that um, just because you can't see your, through your own pain right now, God's here, and he has a better plan for you. And my divorce was like seven years ago. I didn't think I would ever get through it just because it was such a, a crazy time in my life. But I can honestly say it was the best decision that could have ever happened to me and to my children. We, we ended up leaving our little town, but we still talk to everybody there. And we're here, and we're back at our church, our home church. And they're flourishing, and I'm flourishing, and we have this group of friends right here, and we have our podcast, and it's just <laughs> another way to get people to realize that God is ever-present. And like I said, my story is a little more sad and depressing than other people's, but it's, that's real. I mean, that's the world Very, that we live in. Yeah. And if it can help anybody, especially who has to go through the divorce, it is so hard to be back in the church when you're divorced yeah. because... You know, we celebrate so many marriages, mm-hmm. and God loves marriage. And to be like this, it was really hard to understand why God would allow a divorce because mm-hmm. in your mind you're like, God doesn't like divorce, but he wants you to be who you're supposed to be. And there's, I want to say it's a Pinterest quote. It's not like it's a biblical quote, but like if God, if you're not in the situation that you're supposed to be in, God will make you uncomfortable and make yeah. you move to be where you're supposed yeah. to be. And I 100% believe that. You're not going to move out of your comfort zone unless he makes it uncomfortable. And I think we've kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, one of a, a quote that I've heard when reading several, like, you know, like divorce books or things like that was, um, you've never met a strong woman who didn't have an, who had an easy past. Huh. Right? That's true. Right? Yeah, and I was 100%. like, that's so good. Like, you're right. Because if you've had everything easy your whole life, yeah. you don't really appreciate strength and all of that. So. True. It does take a long time to, like, let go of the mask of the fake facade and all of that. But once you do and once you become, you know, real and you accept and you realize that, you know, we have to all go through struggles. Some people have struggles mentally or internally that we don't realize they're battling. 
some people have physical struggles that we can see that they're battling. But God is always there and always present and puts you where you need to be in the right path that you need to be in. And I can honestly say the person that I was before all of that happened is not who I am now. And I don't think I would even really recognize that person. Yeah, that's true. And again, too, that all happened in your 20s, so you're different from your 20s or 30s anyway. <laughs> in hindsight, it's always 2020. But um, but no, it's just that one, I will never forget sitting on my couch doing that one lesson, that one devotion. I think it was a Priscilla Schreier devotion or something. Probably. And I was just like, <laughs> you're right. And I was like, flashing lights going off. Yes, sir. I see you. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. You know, but you think about, too, like, I mean, to have been so bitter and to have like all of that like negative emotion like how great is God that there was still a part of you that could read that in his Mm -hmm. like through his lens you know through that kingdom perspective because I mean just like you said I mean I was trying to just fill it out so that I was finished Mm -hmm. you know and I had like it looked like I did the work you know but I mean God can take any ounce of like gumption right, correct. that we have and like magnify and all he needs is just a little bit right? yeah, for yeah. you to have a little spark and, of joy I mean it wasn't even you know it may not have even been like I'm trying to right. find some joy mm-hmm. you know like I was going to say some of the times that the Lord has spoken to me the most is when I've had a horrible attitude. Right. Like, I don't even, yeah. I'm doing it because I'm supposed to like I was exactly. told to read my Bible and Lord. I was told yeah here I am and then it's like because almost that's when you're almost lowest because mm-hmm. like yeah, you're yeah. just and that's when you're almost more available for him to speak even though you don't feel like it yeah. but yeah that that's a cool part of your story is that you were just in yeah. a bad attitude and, <laughs> really and that's when you know because i mean yeah. been there done that too and too like with us it, you have to go grow through yeah. it because i do have little girls and i, I have to co-parent right and, and so you are almost forced to either come out of this with one of two attitudes you can Mm -hmm. be bitter about it and nothing's going to change till your kids are 18 or you can learn to heal yourself as best as you can um like i said finding the godly advice that you need to heal yourself and and so you can still have joy and happiness and all those things in life that the devil tries so hard to take from us especially in situations because when you're low that God knows it, but the devil knows it too. Yeah, yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's yes. very easy to be bitter and angry and play the victim. And, you know, whether you are or not, in all aspects for a long time. And like I said, it, it wasn't like an overnight. It wasn't like, oh, thanks, God, I got you. Yeah. I mean, it, it took some time. Yeah. But no, like I said, my little flash and sign and knowing that he was there. And it helped me be more open to seeing, like, all of the good mm. that was coming yes. from this bad situation. Yeah. And so you've allowed the Lord to work through that Mm -hmm. you know um, which you have to do you do and I like that you said all you had to have was a little spark yeah because there are probably people listening right now that feel like they're drowning yeah um you know and you we almost sometimes feel like we either have to have it all or nothing like all together or we're just but you know that that's not how it starts yeah right yeah I mean sometimes just praying (laughs) Lord make sure that I can see the tiniest yeah. spark, mm-hmm. you know, like the tiniest red flashing. I'm willing to be willing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like you should be commended too, because I mean, I don't haven't known you for a long mm-hmm. time and I wasn't from here. I, I don't know any of the details, you know, so what I see is you and the girls. And I think the way that, you do handle what it appears to me the way you do handle like co-parenting and things like that I've never heard you say a negative word about you know the co-parenting or the situation like um and I've seen you allow your girls to have that father Mm -hmm. you know no matter what your relationship was or whatever I think that's really important for them and the generational like carryover that they're gonna have like to have seen you walk through this and walk into such light at the end of it when you it wouldn't have taken much just to pivot right yeah. to a different spot you luckily know? they were young enough to when all of it was was happening that I mean like they remember like leaving our house and, and yeah. you know come back to a grove and all that but they obviously don't know like reasons behind right. all right. that but and that's okay and, and that's, that's and that's fine they can ask me one day but yeah not today <laughs> yeah but I mean I think you should be committed well, you. at how you 
are giving them the picture of yeah. like redemption in mm-hmm. a way um, and just kindness and love to other people no matter the hurt yeah. that is well, there. And, and the tools and the resources to face a hard time. Mm-hmm. They saw where yeah. you mm-hmm. turned. And even if they didn't understand it then, as they get, they now, okay, this is, you know, that's, that's going to stick with them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's for just sure. a genuine, you're just very yeah. genuine in all of it, which is not always easy to do. Because no. it is easier to sometimes just put up the facade mm-hmm. or the fake, yeah. but, you know, that's not who you are, so. Yeah. Oh, it was hard. <laughs> well, you know how it is in a small town. Like, I was I mean, like, that makes people sense. know who you went out with yeah. last. I mean, let yeah. alone yes. all the other. And then you get you get yeah. the, this look, the mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good look. I'm praying for you. Yeah, it's like don't touch me. <laughs> don't pray for me. I know. Yeah, I I've I cannot say anything because I've never walked through anything like that. But I've been through a breakup of something I thought was it. And, like, just the enough of what I felt mm-hmm. after that, I'm sure, is magnified by a thousand when it's yeah. a divorce. Yeah. So the fact that you didn't fight anybody in the middle of corner market, <laughs> you can be commended for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So That's too funny. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Okay. okay. I guess it's my turn. Um... All right. Uh, I'm the only one who did not grow up in this area. (laughs) So um, I grew up in Stone County, which is just a little bit south of here. Um, I'm realizing now as I'm older, like what a different experience that was. So even though this is small town, like Brittany was saying, um, it's a lot different than the way I grew up. Um, And so if you were my age, you and you lived in the county, (laughs) you went to school together. That was it. That was the 120 people that you knew. Um, And my family actually, um, both my parents, their parents were from there, like multiple generations in one spot. So um, just lots of like really deep roots, not very far and wide roots. Um, But now I'm learning to really appreciate that. Um, My parents are great grew up on the farm um really hard working people um and i have a brother who um is about a thousand times better than me in every way <laughs> um he's three years younger than me and um it grew up like just really close friends and i had a first cousin who essentially was like my sister and they were kind of like twins and we did everything together and they were you know really good so i had a really good like Growing up, I just got, like, um, a lot of values instilled in me. Um, I have found that um, I was taught a lot of, like, hard work and, you know, like, and just, um, you know, family is very important and where you come from is very important, you know, things like that. So, um, anyway, so that's kind of how I grew up. I also would not mind going back to the farm. <laughs> the we older wouldn't I get, mind going back too. The older I get, the more I'm like, I'm ready to go back there. Because <laughs> um, it is a different, just a different way of life down there, I feel like. Um, so my story, I'm going to kind of focus on um, when I was about nine or nine, nine, ten, um, I actually was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder. And so that... If my life ever pivoted, that's when it pivoted. Um, And so that's kind of what my story is going to be. I think it's really cool because we didn't talk about this before, but Mm -hmm. in last episode, um, you guys both kind of said like words like woven or like the thread of God in your life. Um, And so I, I think of that time period in my life as almost like a really thick piece of yarn. You know, the Lord is is woven and there are threads of him in everything that we do but that to me is literally like so heavy and so prominent and just is so evident in my life that i just see it as like this really big red like piece of yarn that runs through my life so um and just the older i've gotten the more fascinated i am with the mystery of how great God is in terms of like weaving every little piece of our lives together. 
I guess that's his sovereignty um, or his provision, his care for us, you know. Um, and it just like baffles me. It makes me hopeful. Um, there are times that I'm just like in awe of like how things fall together, you know. Um, and, and to be honest, like, you know, as an Enneagram 5, like, I typically want to make sure I know everything. I mean, like, if you're seeing the Instagram post, like, I'm over here with all the technology and I got it all figured out, you know, <laughs> like, um, lots of research and stuff. But this is the one thing, like, the mystery of God's sovereignty and how he weaves our lives together that just intrigues me. And, like, I don't have to know. Like, I just love looking back on it and going, I mean, can you imagine how, like, generations before, if this one event wouldn't have happened, like, yes. like things wouldn't have fallen into place like right. this, you know? And so, it, like, it's my favorite thing to do, mm-hmm. you know, is to take a point in time and track it back and connect the dots and find the thread that's woven through it. Um, I've done that. <laughs> I love it. So, um, <laughs> so... I'm also going to, this is just a little, you know, side note, side note, because if you've listened to season one, you've probably figured this out. Um, I'm a workaholic. And so I feel like I have a pretty unhealthy tie to like my d- identity is what I do. Um, or I'll hash that out in therapy later. We don't have to do that right now. I got a girl. I, under, I understand my worth is not my job or my career, but like it, it is, yeah. it is a lot. Um, but I hope by telling this story, you kind of see why that is. Um, so, looking at work, let's talk about the connection of those dots. This is just like the very simplest little story, um, but it's such a big piece of God's provision. Um, that I think it kind of set me up to see, like, this is where God wanted me. Um, So I was trying to apply for PT school. You have to have, like, observation hours and stuff like that. My mom says, I know somebody, I'll call them, you know, or whatever. Well, what happened is she called the older sister of her college roommate and elementary friend. Um who was a PT at the hospital where I work. And um, so my mom relied on that relationship. She had not talked to that. Her college roommate, it had been years, you know, whatever. And um, she called. I kind of got in. I ended up forming a relationship with that person. And um, it was a friendship, a mentorship, just a, a very different than like a coworker type relationship. And um, it honestly put me in so many right places at the right times that, like, I was able to advance my career and get to where I am now. And it's a reminder that in the previous generation, like, in my mom, if she had not befriended that mm-hmm. person, yes, because we're from a small town, we would have always known them and we could have always, like, traced it back. But there was an actual relationship. My boss... Um, who I'd made the connection with, she knew who my family was and she knew how our work ethic was. And, and like, so I came in with favor mm-hmm. in that job because of the actions of my mom, you know, with that family when she was a kid, right. you know, and could have had any opportunity to ruin friendships or right. anything like that, you know. Um, and so it's just like really cool that, you know, something like favor that I've received in my lifetime and confirmation of being where I'm supposed to be in a career is because of prior relationships um, through, you know, family members or whatever. Um, But so, you know, going back to my illness and all, and like I said, that's that's the big thread in my life um, just because it's so prominent. And if I were to name it, um, it would be restoration or physical healing. Um, maybe you could say like, you know, all of that is like medicine or, you know, something like that. Um, but it's not, it's God, yeah. but God, yeah. there's nothing about it that you can say any, any other way. Um, and, um, 
he it, it's him that's done every bit of it. So, um, sorry. <laughs> There's a, this happened such a long time ago that I'm trying to remember exactly where it started at. Um, I was in fourth grade. Uh, it was in the fall. I remember like being sick, um, like sickly. Um, so like I remember having a sore throat. I remember like my neck being really sore. I remember being tired. Um, you know, I think my parents picked up on some other things like um, crankiness or like impaired handwriting. I, I don't know, like some other things that maybe they saw. Um, I remember going to the doctor like several times, you know, strep test, um, let's check for this, let's check for that. Everything was negative, you know, everything was fine. Um, no real answers, just it must be a virus, you know, and go back like a week or so later, it must be that virus that's just hanging around, you know, for a while, just, you know, kind of things like that. I remember personally feeling, it was the oddest sensation, like I'm right-handed, but I remember like taking notes or doing coursework or whatever and feeling like I could write with both arms simultaneously. And I tried it a couple of times because <laughs> I what kid it. wouldn't? <laughs> Superhero. <Yeah. laughs> you know, because I also had that touch of a four. And so I was like, am I this special <laughs> that you have given me this talent to stand out? He had not. <laughs> it didn't work. Um, it's the only time I ever felt like I had rhythm in my life. Like, you know, that like it was going to go together. Um, but anyway, um, like there was a little odd things like that, you know, like I was sleeping more, like when I got home from school, like I would, you know, take a nap, um, like more than what I normally would, you know, and stuff like that. Um, I think it was right after Thanksgiving, I may be a little bit off, you know, on the times. Um, I remember getting sick at church just on a Sunday night, like, like, like I had a stomach virus or something. Um, and not long after that, I remember like coming home from school, getting off the bus, doing my homework, whatever. And we always like, we had bean bags on the floor in our living room. We always like sat and laid there, like to watch TV and stuff. And I laid down there and fell asleep. And so I had been at school all day. And granted, I had been sick for a while, um, but was doing like normal everyday stuff. I'm gonna guess the nap was about two hours. Um, my parents did not wake me up until supper was ready. So it was literally like table was set. Um, and we always ate at like our bar. So we had bar stools, everybody had their stool or whatever. And so they woke me up and immediately as I got up off the floor, I couldn't walk. And um, I've never been drunk, um, but I have seen you know, drunken people, and that's the best way that I can describe it. Um, every step was uncoordinated. My arms did what they wanted to do. Um, like, I barely stumbled to the bar, you know, and it, I think in the moment it was probably like, oh, well, you know, she has felt so bad for so long, you know, like she just was in that deep of a sleep. So you know? sleeping so hard. Right, yeah. like she's just walking, you know, to the kitchen just a short time. I can vividly remember trying to figure out a way to stay on the bar stool and like being unable to sit on a bar stool. Um, and we had spaghetti, as best I can remember that night, and couldn't catch it. I could not catch it on a fork, couldn't feed myself. And, um, you know, I had always been, my dad <laughs> tells the story too, like when I was five years old, I was with him in the field and I said, Daddy, I think I'm just going to drive this truck back home. And he got in the passenger seat and let me drive. And he tells it to say, like, I've always just been very independent and done, you know, for myself. And um, so to be that defeated in that time, it was just, like, frustration. I mean, how do you go from going to school, playing on the playground, doing your homework, coming home, taking a nap, and then you cannot function? And so immediately... I mean, couldn't dress myself. I mean, I could get it done, right. but like 
I mean, arms flailing everywhere, no coordination, no, I mean, couldn't walk in a straight line, like had to have help like walking and stuff like that. And so, you know, my parents fear, like the only thing that made rational sense to them was maybe this is a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, um, what what else at this, yeah, Yeah, like what what else at this point could it be, you know? like couldn't couldn't bathe myself well you know by nine yeah you're doing that yeah (laughs) like you're a whole person you know that's doing that um and just I mean it was just it it just spiraled downhill from there and um so it was just a series of like more tests and more tests and you know just trying to figure out you know what was happening um they did try to do an MRI like a brain MRI at Wesley and I now know this because I work in the medical field, but if there's any motion... I was going to say, how can they do it if you're moving? Yeah. So they gave me so many drugs that my dad finally was like, that's it. No more. You're going to kill her. Yeah. Um, And he literally just limp, but yet I'm still moving everywhere. Wow. Carried me to a car. Her poor parents. Yeah. So so anyway, you know... um, I never stopped moving. So it was like, we ended up putting a mattress in the living room just because I slept. Like I never stopped moving. I just like, I mean, it was like I was constantly running. Maybe that's why I don't want to exercise now. Maybe I wore myself out. You've already done all that. The Lord just put that in. Now now I'm understanding. Connecting that thought. (laughs) Um, But anyway, you know, so there was just this period of like trying to figure things out or whatever. One of the dots that I like to connect, though, is right now today in the city of Hattiesburg, there's not a pediatric neurologist. But when I was nine years old, there was one. Oh, wow. <laughs> this older guy. Um, so back then, a kid would be sent to Jackson, yeah. you know, whatever. But um, but God, he had one here when we needed it. And, you know, now in 2023, we don't even have one, you know, in this area. Um so we were in his office, I think it was late in the evening, if I remember correctly, I may be wrong. Um, and he asked my parents, he said, can I pull out a textbook and read up on some stuff? This seems really rare to me, um, but based on some lab results, confirming I had apparently had strep throat, even though I had tested negative. Um, and I also had what he called a milkmaid's grasp what does that mean? So, I'm assuming like this? Yeah, so like if you put two fingers and you just ask a kid to grab, uh-huh. like grab and squeeze my fingers. So when you grab and squeeze somebody's fingers, you just squeeze and hold. Mm-hmm. When you have chorea, I'm trying to squeeze and hold, but my muscles are constantly uncoordinated Sorry. and moving. And so it literally feels like you're milking a cow, even though the task is trying to... To just squeeze. Squeeze. Wow. And so, um, now he, he probably, there was probably more stuff. Right. This in my head made sense. I right. was like, you know, nine years old. So he pulls out the, um, the book, goes in his office, pulls it out, comes back. And he said, she's got Sydenham's chorea. Um, it's part of the rheumatic fever family. So rheumatic fever is from strep throat that affects your heart. Sydenham's chorea is from strep throat that affects your brain. Um, it's autoimmune. Um, and it, I mean, it, it attacked my brain and my movement. Later realized that it could attack one side of your body. It could attack your whole body. It attacked my whole body. Um, the neurologist said, you know, you probably need to follow up with a cardiologist in Jackson. So there's a pediatric cardiologist. Um, here goes another, but God, there was one cardiologist who had briefly consulted with a group of doctors who were doing a study on Sydenham's Korea at the National Institutes of Health. Wow. It's fairly rare. So there was not like multiple mm-hmm. people in Mississippi that had it. To my knowledge, there was nobody else at the time. So I really don't even know how this cardiologist was connected. Um, so he sent us up there to her. Um, she immediately concurred. That's what we think this is. Um, I want to get you to the National Institutes of Health. They're like uh, doing like a study. You know what? What is the best course of treatment 
for this. So um, my parents, of course, you know, had to weigh the options, um, but they made the decision to make it work. I'm thankful at that time that generations prior had decided to stay in one spot that my family had not left. Um, grandparents stepped in to help, um, you know, other family members stepped in to help. My dad was self-employed on the farm. I had a little brother. My mom was working for the post office. She had actually just gotten a job that allowed her to have insurance. It was a wow. huge blessing to our family. It happened. It even like was able to go retro, which is like a huge deal, you know, on some of the stuff. Um, but like the timing of it and all. But you know, just having a family support system to help, you know, stabilize that to allow us to leave, you know, to go get this treatment. So I have no idea, but I am acutely aware that it was probably very hard decisions on their part. Um, but they decided, you know, yes, this is where we need to go. We need to proceed with that. Listen, out nine, I was still me. <laughs> so I still had an opinion. <laughs> I still was not real crazy about my independence being taken away from me. <laughs> like, real angry. Um, and to have that emotion as a nine-year-old, you know, um, I think, you know, like Bailey said last week, like, kids are smart. Yeah. And um, they are more adult than we give them mm -hmm. credit for sometimes. And sometimes we don't know what they're thinking or what, you know, what's going on with them. Um, I can remember sitting at our dining room table. We never ate at our dining room table, but we started eating there because I couldn't sit on a stool. Um, and then telling, you know, walking through this big packet of like the admissions paperwork telling all that they had to do and me just I'm not going I'm not going I don't want to do that I don't want to do that I don't want to do that um the reason that I didn't want to go <laughs> this is just ridiculous I didn't want to have to pee in a cup right <laughs> so every time you go to the doctor you have to do a yeah. urine test uh -huh. okay it's hard. Uh, dang near impossible. Okay, with your arms <laughs> dancing everywhere. Uh-uh. <laughs> Ain't happening. How you going to do that? Right. I can't even do it on a good day. No, you know? me like, either. <laughs> I realize now, looking back at that, though, that was like, like, the more I understand about the Enneagram, that was my fear coming out. I was going to be perceived as incompetent yeah. mm -hmm. um, and unable to do something or be successful with something, and it scared me. Um and I was angry, and then I was scared that, like, I couldn't figure out how to do it or how, how to get it done correctly or whatever. Um, and, you know, I didn't really like to ask for help at all, and I still don't. And that, <laughs> that whole situation made it worse, yeah. you know, over time. Um, but anyway, I don't even know what my parents and all said, you know, but, like, thankfully they were able to talk me into it. I mean, I really didn't have that an option. option yeah. um, but I do appreciate, like, them realizing that I needed to be part of conversations like that and that I even was able to be part of conversations where I realized that that might happen, you know. And, um, you know, I, I really can't imagine trying to convey, like, these big medical issues to a small child right um and helping them understand that um so anyway fairly quickly um i think it was right after christmas uh we went to the national institutes of health which is in bethesda maryland so just right outside of washington dc and my entire family went for a week because we had no idea what was happening um this is, you know, my little brother says he's a two on the Enneagram, and I think this is kind of the time where, like, that's probably what cemented, you know, a lot of his stuff, too, because, um, you know, he was, he was, he did everything, um, everything that he needed to do, like, you know, they were afraid I was going to get strep again, so they were like, you know, don't drink after each other. Kale, to this day, at 33 years old, will not drink after anyone but his wife. Like, he's not, Yeah. you take a sip out of his drink, he's putting it, okay, you can have it. I'm not right. taking that back. You know, because he was so worried about, like, doing what he needed to do for me, you know, type deal. So um, we spent a week 
test after test after test. And what happens when you go to the National Institutes of Health, you're in the research study that you're in, but you also kind of like fall into these other research studies. So um, you have all these extra tests that just might fit their stuff, you know. Um, so I got some really weird stuff done to me. Um, got some just some funky stuff, mm -hmm. lots of tests, you know, and stuff like that. Um, and it was just constant, was, you know, taking blood and it, I mean, just lots of stuff. And in the meantime, we, you know, would go to DC and like see something, you know, um, like I went to the the zoo in a wheelchair. I was mad the whole time. Like, so mad, just, like, the removal of independence yeah. and, you know, um, things like that. I mean, that was, that was, I can just remember that being, like, really hard. Um, so they did all of this, and at the end of the week, so that was kind of, like, my admissions, let's see where you are for a baseline, you know, type deal. And at the end of the week, um, they sat down, like, with me and my parents and kind of, you know, am I a candidate for the trial? Or, like, if I am, what am, what am I going to, what treatment am I going to get? At the time, there was three treatments. Two of them you had to stay in the hospital there for. Um, one of them was like similar to dialysis. One of them was like IV medication. And then one of them was um, just oral st steroids over a month long period. So if you got that one, you could go back wherever you were and you know, do it from there. And so sciences, I learned is a uh, real um, advanced. So at the end of it, my daddy who came from the farm <laughs> to the big city had on his hat, his cap, excuse me, his cap, <laughs> that he didn't go anywhere without. And um, they said, uh, we've, got, we've got these three treatments here and they were on little post-it notes that were folded up. And they said, can we borrow your hat? and um, they got his hat, they put the three in there, shook it up, and almost just like you were pulling out, you know, a prize from the surprise bin, they what? literally, like, randomly selected the... Was it because they would all, they felt, be equally... So it was... Or they this were just like, no, no. so this is legitimately a trial. So it has to be randomized, You'd like... you think there would be a more, you know, sophisticated yeah. Right, that's what I'm talking about, you know. Randomize like, it. Hey, so all these people talking about, like, put all this faith in science. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm here to tell you. Yeah. My God they shows it up out more of uh -huh. than, yeah. yeah, yeah, that. So anyway, pull it out, and I actually got the prednisone, which was the oral steroids that I could take at home. And um, that was just another knot in the yarn um, mm -hmm. of where God, like, orchestrated all of that. Um, answers to prayers. I mean, it got my dad back home mm -hmm. quicker. It got my mom back home. Um, after that, you know, my mom was able to go back to work. My dad was able to go back to work. Um, and like other family members were able to come in. Um, because at this time, like when that started, I couldn't go to school. Like, so yeah. all of a sudden, you know, 24 seven caregivers were needed, you know, and stuff like that. So I went home, started, like, taking the medication. Um, that's where I learned how to swallow pills as a nine-year-old. That was real fun. I also <laughs> fell in love with chocolate pudding. Mm. And in case you didn't know, you can crush up meds and put it in chocolate pudding, and it is very good. Um, so I'm a big fan of chocolate pudding after that <laughs> whole ordeal. Um, but over the course of the month, my symptoms slowly started to improve. Um, and... I was out of school. Um, I think I went back the first time for my Valentine's Day like class party and was only able to stay like a couple of hours yeah. and um, then just kind of like gradually like increased after that. Um, basically had to go back to the National Institutes of Health. Um, I think it was maybe like another three or four times that year and then like a couple of six month visits and then like once a year until I was a senior um, in high school. And the reason it stopped then was the trial ended. Um, but when I went back, I can remember going back, you know, and I was so proud because I was like, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> 
like I'm fine you put that tape down on the floor I can walk that straight line now I bet you know whereas before I was like falling all over the place and they videoed all of this and I actually do um they were gracious enough to give me the very first video that of like the test that they did in the very last one um and it's just it's amazing to see um, but you know, I, I kind of walked in there with confidence, like got that figured out, took that medicine, mm-hmm. that chocolate pudding and now I fixed myself, <laughs> you know, type deal. And, um, they were, you could tell like that they were shocked and that they were pleased and that, you know, this was a good outcome, you know, and things like that. Of course it was good. You know, I, I got back to that. Um, but what you hear in all of that is almost like prophecies that are being said over your life. Mm-hmm. You know, if she gets strep throat again, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, if she gets strep throat again, it could go to her heart this time, you know, and it could be like more deadly. Um, she should never work in healthcare. She should never work in education because those are the two areas where you're most, you know, um, don't expect her to be able to like, make grades like she did in school don't expect her to be able to like play sports or do you know things like that you know expect her to be different um kind of setting my parents up for don't place these you know expectations same expectations on her as you did before well it just made me real mad (laughs) i was like okay there's that four (laughs) i don't know that you know this but i could have written with both hands like i was special (laughs) I was special here, you know. <laughs> um, but, like, that always is in the back of my mind. I can remember, like, maybe second or third visit, you know, them, like, kind of quietly whispering to my mom, you know, we don't know, like, in pregnancy, these things tend to have a, like, recurrence, so they can come back in pregnancy. Um, I mean, so, that, like, even still now, that kind of is a little mm-hmm. bit of a, like what would happen if that ever right. happened to me? I mean, that's not fixing to happen now, but <laughs> you know, like you still like I'm still not through right. this. Maybe, yeah, maybe I am. Um. So once I finished, like at the end of high school, I think I was in junior college. They sent a copy of the research paper that they published on the trial, and they just like mailed it. Like you just got a copy of it, and that's what you got. And so I'm reading it and. I can literally pick out which participant number I am and made the little charts and the graphs and all of that. Of course you did. Wow. (laughs) Um, And it's not a lot. It's not a lot of patients. It's maybe like 90 patients or so, if I remember correctly, over this like 10 year period um, that were involved in this. And so it's not a, it's, it's rare. Yeah. Um, And in that time frame, I had met a girl who had a similar Disease. It wasn't Sydenham's Korea, but it was very similar. Um, who had no resolution of her symptoms and ended up in like a facility. Like her family couldn't even care for her. Like so, by the time she was 12, wow. 13, oh, you know, man. like was actually like being cared for in a home. Um, so you know, I I didn't really live with that. Um, understanding of what a miracle that I was walking mm-hmm. um, because I, I did <laughs> I ate my chocolate pudding with my medicine right. in it, you know type deal um, and when I got that and I read you know and saw okay my case was way worse than some of these others like some of these others only had one side effect and mine was whole body and some of these others still had deficit six months out. Well, by the time I went back a month later, I was better. Mm-hmm. I, w- I was done. Um, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I was healed at that time, whereas they had, you know, months and years that they dealt with this, you know, before they had resolution of symptoms. Some of them, it was like puberty before mm-hmm. things ever changed for them, you know, so they lost years of their life and their function. Um, and so, I probably was in junior college before I just understood the magnitude of the healing. Yeah. Um, and that the Lord allowed me to, to be a part of a miracle here on this side of heaven, um, which is not what everybody gets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think 
I, well, I wish that I would have understood that before um, because when I came out of that, there was a part of me that, you know, questioned what the Lord, why the Lord would do this and what the Lord had for me, you know, and things like that. And, um, you know, my parents would sit down and talk to me. Christy, you know, we know you understand. And you're like, you've been in church every time that the doors open. Like, we know you understand what a personal relationship with Christ is. Um, we're not understanding why you're not <laughs> making that step of faith. Um, it was me just being hard-headed, me trying to logic my way mm -hmm. through it. Like, Lord, this doesn't make sense. Um, none of this makes sense. Why would this happen to me? Why would I be, you know, like, I was better just as quick as... I had gotten sick, so, like, I don't think it was really, whereas, like, everybody else could see, this is a miracle. Why is this kid not, like, aligning her life with Christ at this time? Um, so it created a lot of tension between, like, my parents and I. Um, so that was, like, fourth grade, and I did not accept Christ as my personal Lord and Savior until I was the summer after eighth grade. Um, just because, like, I let logic rule um, and knowledge and, you know, that type stuff. Um, I kind of made a bargain with God at church camp because I don't like to be the center of attention. And so I was like, Lord, I ain't going, I ain't going to the front <laughs> at the church camp at Past Christian <laughs> where everybody is at. I ain't doing it. You let me get back home and I'll do it at my church. <laughs> Well, a month later, <laughs> I finally, I didn't really. Um, I just kept putting it off. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the center of attention. I'd already been the center of attention where people were laying hands on me and praying for me. And, you know, people were, uh, you know, we're so thankful that you're healed. And, you know, like, I just didn't want to do it. And one Sunday night, I was standing in church and almost the exact feeling that I had when I felt like I could write with both hands. My body just carried itself. And next thing I knew, I was like halfway to the preacher when I kind of like realized what was happening to me. And um, I mean, I told him, I said, hey, look, here's the deal. I promised God a month ago that I would do this. I just have not. So he took it into his own hands right. and used my movement disorder to, to move. To move. That's what I was going to say, but I didn't know if it was inappropriate. Um, and so, so anyway, I, I, I was baptized and then started high school right after that. Um, but still just not living with that understanding of um, miraculous healing and restoration. Um, I did excel in high school academically. Um, you know, like the things that they kind of laid out mm -hmm. were not true mm -hmm. for me. Um, you know, I, I, I did well. I mean, I academically did well. Um, I didn't play any sports. Um, that's okay yeah <laughs> but you know like um, I had played instruments you know it, like all that kind of stuff so everything that they had said before like I did not realize it until I was like older that I mean when the Lord healed me he gave me full restoration um, and I just overlooked it at the time um, Later in college, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I ultimately decided on PT. I really had no idea why. I had no, I'd never been to PT. I, I didn't have, my best friend at the time was going into PT. I think maybe I just, like, osmosis just kind of, mm -hmm. like, leaked over. That sounds good. You know, it sounds like something that I should do. Um, I looked at med school. I just ultimately decided, no, nah, I just think I want to go to PT school. Um, I was in my third year of PT school, first, first of my last semester, when I walked into Forest General Hospital doing my clinical, and at the end of the first week, I walked out, and for the first time, I had peace, like, oh, I'm doing what I'm supposed mm -hmm. to do, and I had gotten all the way there, <laughs> I had spent thousands of dollars and put in you know hundreds of time 
Um, but I am so thankful that somehow the Lord continued to just allow me to say the right yeses along the way, um, to make the right choices along the way, whether I was making them for the reason, you know, or not. Um, and that, like, when I ultimately got to that point of this is what I'm supposed to be doing, what I realized was the reason I was a PT is because I was so drawn to being a part of stories of restoration and um, and of like function mm -hmm. and people regaining their lives um, and I think that my mother's friend childhood friend you know um, that was her outlook on therapy and so what a sweet like yeah. um, time just to have that and to have that goal and to walk into work to have that common shared desire um, and almost like a kingdom perspective yeah. that like I'm here to be an instrument um, in the restoration of function. Um, it's a but God story because I actually thought that I should be a pediatric therapist, <laughs> which is also like Meg trying to be an elementary school yeah. teacher. But <laughs> here I was ending up in the hospital with um, you know adult patients, and they ended up finding my way to neurological patients mm -hmm. um, and kind of honing my skills with that. So, um, I guess kind of as a wrap up. I'm not one that likes to be the center of attention, but I have to own the identity that I am a walking miracle. Um, when I was diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease, it was none but God that I got through it. Um, logically, there should be some residual deficits, uh, but God said no, and as a matter of fact, let's let you shine. And <laughs> um, I'm so thankful for that, and I don't, I, I hope that I come across humble, the the accolades that I've been given for that. Um, but, you know, ultimately, just the complete physical restoration should have been enough um, as that. Um, you know, I think too, I got the physical restoration and then he continued to contend with me from fifth grade to eighth grade, and he wrestled with me on arguments of logic all those years, um, and then he performed another miracle. <laughs> when I was able to understand and accept and just step out on faith to accept his salvation, and so, you know, there's full restoration of a sinful soul in that too. Um, and so when I look at my life, I think that's, that's the underlying current. That's what the red thread is that, you know, the God thread that goes through my mm -hmm. life is restoration. It's physical, it's spiritual. Um, and I think that's why, like when I was in college and did my 10 weeks of summer missions in Montana, I came across the, the verse um, or the parable about Jesus healing the man that was born blind. And it resonated so deeply with me that it, at that moment, it just kind of became my life verse, and um, because it's a parable about physical and spiritual yeah. restoration and healing, um, and so John nine one through three says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be be displayed in him. Um, I get it wrong a whole, whole lot. <laughs> There's been times in my adulthood that, like, I've definitely turned the other way from God. Um, but I'm thankful that there's always like a thread that pulls me back mm -hmm. to that story to remember um, everything that God did in my life and the people around me, um, in my family's lives, you know, stuff like that. And all the acts that he set in place for that to happen and to, um, to become such a pivotal moment for me and to restore me, yeah. you know. Um, and so it has, it has always been the thing that has caused me to refocus on the kingdom um, 
when I'm at my lowest, you know, or whatnot. So in the end, again, it's the pivot. And the simple conclusion is this, but God, you know, there's nothing else I could have done, um, no matter how much logic I like to <laughs> throw at it. So that was kind of rambly. No, it was you good. spoke so well. <laughs> I thought it was great. And like, can you imagine being your patient? And knowing, like, you're not coming in just with medical, like, you've been there. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's, uh, it's kind of like what Meg was saying about, like, teaching fitness classes. Yeah. Like, there's a difference when someone, yeah. like, you understand the frustration. Yeah. Yeah. You understand the fear yeah. of, like, what if it doesn't get better? Like, yeah. that's overwhelming and powerful. Yeah. That's, yeah. All the little dots yeah. along the way that can yeah and you know it, there's so many more school. and i probably didn't do like a what if your dad didn't wear a cap i know <laughs> what would they have pulled it out of <laughs> yeah you he's know. let me wear his cap before i'm That's feeling true. honored and blessed <laughs> yeah but you know it's um the lord's timing is always mm-hmm. right like and i don't know how many times that has to happen yeah you know, to me, for me to, like, go in on the front end, go at the top of the right. <laughs> right. You know. From my personal perspective, it's a lot of times yeah. that has to happen I know, you know, from my like, life. Ebenezer Stones, uh-huh. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. is. Out of curiosity, if you had not had treatment, would it have, would it have been, like, a permanent damage, kind of like a yeah, like so stroke, Bell's palsy type of, where the nerves are degenerate, damaged? like, to where it would get worse? Yeah, so all of those, yes, could potentially have happened. What the trial basically found was um, that there was no, like, all three of those treatments were viable treatments. Like, those are just, in general, viable treatments for autoimmune diseases. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. All three of them, I think, if I remember correctly, maybe two of them were, like, had a little bit better results Mm -hmm. um but there was not one clear like if a kid walks in in kalamazoo michigan right give them this treatment you know it's kind of like it could have been all of those um from my knowledge like later on um you can actually have chorea based off of like strokes in a certain area of the brain i was gonna say that's what it sounds like Mm -hmm. yeah um so it's like the basal ganglia Mm -hmm. um, can actually cause like movement disorders. And I actually have had one stroke patient that has had chorea and like just sat and watched and was like that. Wow. Yeah. Have you ever had strep again? That was my next question too. I have had strep twice in my life. Once when I was two years old and once when I got Sydenham's chorea. Wow. I just, I get strep all the time. Like I get it every year. That's the one, like, I rarely get the flu, rarely get something, but I get strep every, like, my brother and you know, started. like, yeah. that's crazy to me how yeah. I've had it probably 30 times, you know? Yeah. Wow. And, how and still have my tonsils. Yeah. And Are you on, like, long-term antibiotics? Yeah. yeah. So I take penicillin. Wow. See, my girls have to take penicillin. They just have to take for a year, though, but yeah. after they're, so after they're I've been on it since mm-hmm. I was nine. Yeah. Wow. Started out a shot. Ooh. Yeah. Uh-huh. In the thigh. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Also, Imola cream, if you've never used it. Yep. That's a nice little trick. Huh. I never worked in oral surgery. We used it all the time. Is that what makes you go down? No, no, no. Like, it's like a cream that you put on. It's like like numbs your skin. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, Oh, they gave me that the one time I had an IV. Yeah. And they Mm -hmm. put like a bandage on it. Yeah, I was about to say, it's like a little patch. Yeah, you just buy it at like Walgreens? I don't know. I just know that like, like when I was in that, yeah. I used I to have to go every time I could. I put on my elbow. My elbow hurts all the time. <laughs> when I'd have to go get that. Yeah. Every three weeks, oh, penicillin. And it's like heavy cream yeah. consistency, yeah. like going right oh, into your thigh. Oh. So I would like lather God it up. Bless. But yeah, so. So far, wow. no residual deficits. But yeah, all of those could have been like, I mean, there were a couple of patients, I think, in the trial that did not have resolution of symptoms. Wow. Um, I mean, there's a few things like sometimes I like if I'm really tired, like I feel like my speech kind of gets a little off. I wonder, you know, sometimes like is, is that related? Yeah. But also, 
I'm tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's different about me. But I have ended up being able to teach myself how to write with my left hand because I was yeah. bound and determined to hang on to that oh, special my word. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> got that. Got that. Shocker. Wing for it. I was like, I have energy. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Oh. Yeah. No, y'all are shocked. I think it's about to rain. <laughs> if you're oh, wondering if it rains on a Saturday and you live in Hattiesburg, yes. um, it's because we're recording. Yes. It record. It rains every time we mm-hmm. record. So yes. It looks like it's clouding up. Yes. Okay. All right. The cookies. Yes. That we did not know <laughs> could be cookies. I know. The sourdough. We've learned so much. Were fantastic. Yes. They were. I they were so good. I mean, you would even say like they're not like sweet. They're not sweet. super sweet. Yeah. They were so they're good. They're so good. They're Tell fluffy. Your mom we liked them. Yes. Yeah. We love them. I guess I could tell you here. We loved them. Yes. <laughs> we do. They're so good. And just uh, thanks again for the three of y'all for sharing hard yeah. stories. Yeah. Um, and we hope that the listeners realize that some of that was pretty hard for us. Like it was. this yeah. has been a heavy day. Um, yeah. But. We trust that y'all will treat those with respect and receive from them something good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, thank y'all. It was good. Thanks for tagging along. See y'all later. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all.